0: This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Out of the Blue podcast. My name is Trish Critic, and today I'm joined by Luciano Gattinoni, who is the author of today's article for discussion Reclassifying Acute Respiratory Distress Syndrome. We're also joined by Taylor Thompson, who was one of the co authors of the accompanying editorial. Dr. Gattinoni is a professor of anesthesiology in the Department of Anesthesiology, Emergency and Intensive Care Medicine at the University of Göttingen. Dr. Thompson is a professor of medicine in the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine at Massachusetts General Hospital and the Medical Director of the Pedal Network Coordinating Center. I'm pleased to be with both of them today on this conversation. So let me start with you, Luciano. Maybe you can do I'll take a minute to just describe in general what you did in this approach to reclassifying uh, ARDS and particularly the emphasis on the distinction between maybe two categories of moderate ARDS.
2: Well, okay. basically, uh, this originated from a clinical observation because uh, at, at my age, uh, I had the occasion to start with the classification uh, of RDS uh, since the very first uh, meeting in Berlin. And then we met again in uh, Spain. Then we met in Berlin again. And uh, the first time was in Paris. And so I saw the evolution and the evolution of the RDS classification was based basically on the severity. But together with the, the severity, we have different time with different possible approach. The first approach in the 70s uh, we were far more oriented about the pathophysiology that now is used. So uh, at the beginning we were taking in account the compliance, we take in account X-rays, we can take like, some craft of X-rays, and basically, at that time, we had the severe or refractory hypoxemia. Refractory hypoxemia means the impossibility to have normal oxygen, even if you breathe 100%. So, what we call PF lower than 100, was the refractory hypoxemia, which exists since the beginning. Then, uh, when we had the, the, the European and American classification of LDS. Uh, when we say the acute respiratory failure, the big umbrella, no? uh, the, the, mythic, uh, the mythic 300 to 200, 200 to mm-hmm. 10, right? uh, which, which works reasonably better than nothing. But if you look at this classification, what's happened? Happened that uh, you have uh, a very small group uh, of uh, patients which are in moderate category, quite small in uh, severe category, and we have most of the patients, uh, about 40-50% uh, of the whole population, which are in uh, between. But uh, we, we play with the CT scan in these patients since, uh, since the last, since, since a lot of years. And what we found, I had arrived basically to the conclusion that the mild LDS uh, practically is not an LDS because the edema uh, practically does not exist; it's extremely extremely low. In between the moderate, uh, of course, you have a patient with uh, mild uh, with PF of. Uh, uh one one ninety nine is very close uh, to the to get out to the to go in the in the in the mile category if you have a patient with 101 uh, you have uh, other uh, possibility to be severe it happens that if you split the category at uh, at uh, health uh, it happens that you divide reasonably well this huge category into two subgroups, equal size. But what's more important, the anatomical characteristic of the CT scan becomes very similar, clearly distinct between the two groups. Also, you have some clinical data that we have a lot of, not a lot, but some, I think, important study that we're looking at the patient below 150 so if i have to conclude and i play with this since at least four decades i think that pf below 150 reasonably well define what i think is rds above 150 maybe is good for for the uh, for the trial but usually And, of course, any times we put a category, we do something wrong. Because (laughs) uh, you can say, okay, what's about 149 and 151? But as we have to survive, I think it's a better approximation to split the moderate in two. Because we have anatomical data, we have physiological data, and we have clinical data that convey the same message. So I think it's not a it's not a discovery, it's not a great discovery, Nobel Prize forgotten, but you know, <laughs> is, a, is a is a reasonable approach.
1: So okay, so let me just summarize what I heard you say, and I'm going to invite Taylor into the conversation. That I think one thing that you said that was really interesting is like patients with a PF less than 150 are the people you're calling kind of real, in quotes, ARDS. And that the reason you think that that PF ratio as a cutoff makes sense is that there's also evidence from your CT scans as well as potentially physiologic evidence that those are different patients than patients with a higher PF. And I, I think that resonates, though agree I agree with you that it's a somewhat arbitrary number. Taylor, you talked about this kind of hyperinflammatory phenotype versus not, and I'm wondering if you think that that falls into that cutoff point or, or what your thoughts are about that.
0: Yeah, well, I agree with uh, Luciano. This is an important refinement of uh, an evolution of defining ARDS by uh, severity strata. Um, you know, both the, the Proceva investigators uh, for PRONE and uh, the cis Atricurium trials enrolled this subset, the, uh, the patients with PF less than 150. And in both those trials, the control group mortality was fairly high, suggesting that at least PF less than 150 had prognostic enrichment. It enriched for patients likely to die. But it's tempting, based on Luciano's work here, showing that that group also has more recruitable lung tissue. They have heavier lungs. They have more inhomogeneity. That actually, that lung-targeted therapies may be more likely to work in this, as Luciano said, maybe real ARDS. Uh, they're less than 150, and if that's the case, then this has predictive enrichment that this subset is more likely to respond to lung-targeted therapy. So that's great. But you just raised the this the the, the work by Carolyn Kalfi, um, who has come at this issue of real ARDS, and I'm making air quotes when I say that. As was I, um, oh. yeah. Is that uh, you know she is. Looked at the combination of biomarkers and physiology, and comes up with this hyperinflammatory phenotype, which seems to re- has higher mortality and also seems to respond to PEEP, uh, conservative fluid management, and more recently to a uh, simvastatin. Uh, Danny Macaulay's work, uh, along with Carolyn, suggesting maybe that subset is quote real ARDS, and it's interesting that PF ratio doesn't discriminate the hyperinflammatory subtype or not. There's a lot of overlap. PF ratio is really not one of the discriminating variables. So probably we need a combination of the elegant physiologic approaches that Luciano has, has contributed to for decades. And um, again, supporting now a PF threshold of 150 and then Carolyn's work and probably some combination of the two will get us closer to, uh, to uh, unpacking some of this heterogeneity in the RDS.
2: Uh, my- May I say something about the PF ratio? PF ratio mm-hmm. is a very rough system to judge the oxygenation. Until 20 years ago, the people was measure the shunt fraction because I can play with the nose of the ventilator to have the patient in or out a study depending on what kind of PF I use because there is not a linear relationship between oxygenation, PO pressure and FiO2, that's it. It depends by the shunt fraction. And so, I think that a lot of the problems that we have uh, is uh, to combine uh, this, which is, uh, I prefer to know what is the FiO2 and what is the PaO2. It gives me a far more clear idea of uh, what's happened to the patient just having the ratio, which may be a result from different combination which do not have the same
0: weight.
1: Yes, you alluded to that in the severe category commentary. Go ahead, Taylor.
0: Yeah, I think this is, uh, there there isn't obviously a non-linear relationship. Yes, but in
2: severe works quite yeah. well, B100, no? because this is quasi-linear, but the problem is when the shunt, is a 20, 25, or 18. At this point, you may have a completely different uh, PF ratio depending on uh, how do you set the ventilator.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, Britos and, uh, and Brouwer and I, a number of years ago, looked at uh, uh, the effect of FiO2 as a prognostic variable, and it's For any tertial of PF ratio, so you take the lowest PF ratio tertial, um, the addition of FiO2 adds additional prognostic value. So lower PF with high F is, uh, again, a very high severity subset. But what Luciano is showing in this paper is, is that group is also more likely to be treated with ECMO, suggesting that clinicians are seeing what Luciano just said, that the FO2, yeah, particularly when it gets over 0.8.
1: So let me take a step back and ask you guys this question, because I think you're making strong arguments for why maybe PF isn't the best way to put people into buckets in terms of treatments for ARDS. And I think clinicians are trying to figure out how to use the various strategies to categorize patients. When you sat at the table and talked about the new definition of ARDS before the Berlin definition came forward, did you discuss this? And and what was what was the conversation around perhaps using other parameters, right? You talked about, you looked at compliance and um, correct minute ventilation and other things and didn't end up using those in the definition. And then my second question for both of you is, and did you Talk about parsing the moderate category at that time because I think it does, it seems meaningful clinically. You want to go first, Taylor?
0: Uh, sure. I think Luciano's in a better position to say, why didn't we drill down on 150 <laughs> at the time? But, uh, you know, they, we, we tried to look at uh, an extant database of both patients and, and randomized trials and those that were in an observational study uh, to empirically test more complex definitions. Mm-hmm. Um, we initially uh, proposed that severe ARDS be the combination of higher PEEP, lower compliance, perhaps higher uh, corrected minute ventilation as a surrogate for dead space fraction uh, and low PF. And um, uh, however, when we when we looked at the addition of those variables, they added very little prognostic enrichment, Um and it just made the severe group smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. But the mortality didn't change much. So we reverted to a relatively simple um, and probably oversimplified reliance on PF alone. Now, as far as the PF-150, I think Lu- Luciano's in a better position to comment on that.
1: Okay. Luciano, tell us about that discussion.
2: Well, well uh, as you know, when you put uh, 10 experts or 15 experts so expert <laughs> around the table, you come out with a minimal common denominator, which is at the lowest level, (laughs) you know, because at that table was also people were proposing not to use the PF, which was too complicated, and uh, imply some additional cost in gas exchange, in blood blood sample measurement, Mm -hmm. and just were proposing the FiO2 saturation, um, mm-hmm. quotient, completely ignoring the, what is the shape of the oxygen dissociation curve. But okay, <laughs> PF was saved. <laughs> but uh, I think is is better once again, it's better than nothing. RDS is not a disease, it's a word of communication, is the terminal of lot of disease, which involves some characteristics of the lung, some pathology of the lung, Edema basically, and uh, require some therapy to keep the patient alive. This is the basic of LDS. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, makes sense uh, the severity. You know, uh, at the first American European conference, we had 300, 200, and mm-hmm. 300, 200, and were decided over a beer because at the end, everybody <laughs> had to take the plane. <laughs> No, this is true. Really? And uh, they're right. And uh, 300, say, why not? Because it makes sense that people know that 300 is quite okay. 200, you start to worry. Below 100, you are very worried if you have 100% oxygen, right? Yep. So this uh, is the way that usually these conferences go ahead. But it happens that at the end, the reality, roughly looking at the thing, was um, reasonably uh, well-defined. I think using the moderator is just a little step ahead in a better definition of the basic characteristics of the RDS, which are, in one side, what is the anatomical result, and this is the CT which governs it. The other thing, all the mediators, inflammatory, the degree of inflammation is extremely important also. But you know, at this point, you know that even the overlap with the septic situation become become enormous, because I look at the RDS, the pure RDS, as a sort of sepsis of an organ, which is the lung. Mm while the general sepsis uh, include most of the hyperinflammation and so on. So, it's very complicated. I think we have to just recognize our limit and to have some common language to understand each other. I think that PF uh, is reasonable. PO2, FiO2 categories would be better, in my opinion, but I don't have any hope that will be accepted. Um, to me, I, I will continue to measure the chant and don't tell anybody, but sometimes use also these one, <laughs> And we also the stethoscope, you know. In uh, A
1: stethoscope?
2: The, the stethoscope, yeah. Well, yeah is, if you go in some museum in Seattle, <laughs> together with the totem, you have uh, three or four which are left.
1: <laughs> so, uh, I appreciate the
2: stethoscope uh, is nothing else than echo with the right hair. (laughs) It's based on the same principle.
1: Yes, (laughs) I'm familiar with the device. Um, (laughs) Good. I want to ask you both a question then relevant to what you've both been talking about and that is this as opposed to the cutoffs and specific categories Patients who have a PF greater than 200, or maybe even patients who have a PF greater than 150, even though that's imperfect. Do you think that we should be trying to do all the interventions that we know are beneficial for patients with ARDS in that category? Or should we really be honing in if we wanted to focus on changing clinicians' behavior on the patients who have a PF that's lower or a PF that's lower in some biomarker profile, if we get to that point, Uh, Are we diluting our effort by trying to do this for all of those patients?
2: Well, uh, if I had to speak, uh, I think that just one number doesn't tell us uh, much. It's just good for organization, for communication. What I look is the trend. Because if I have a patient uh, who had uh, under 49 and then come to 160 with the same ventilatory setting or depending on the response of the patient has to be. So a, a lot of things. Uh, I, I I found my clinical decision not just on one number. That would be a, a disaster, I think, to treat a patient on two or three numbers uh, with protocols and so on. You have to look the patient in as a whole
0: patient. Yeah, Trish, I was going to make the same point. The, the limitations of... Luciano alluded to this before. The threshold effect—you could be at 101 or or 199—but also uh, a significant fraction of patients will move from mild to moderate severe, and it's the it's the trajectory that's most important.
2: That's right. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, And 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 the other piece is that, um, and again, Luciano pointed this out. PF ratio is 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 good, and um, uh, it's certainly easy to apply but there's a tremendous amount of heterogeneity even within the PF less than 150 subset. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, know, mm-hmm. you know, for example, um, it, the standard deviation exceeds the mean in the recruitable lung tissue uh, in that group. So even though it's a bit more homogeneous, there's still a, ra- a fair amount of heterogeneity in the 150 group. So both trajectory and addition, uh, uh, dealing with the heterogeneity are are, are Are issues that go beyond just the PF.
1: I hear you. And I think what you're saying is that as a clinician, you should be taking into consideration all of these different aspects of what's going on with your patient's physiology um, as you make decisions. I'm curious though, Taylor, when you're taking care of a patient or when you were taking care of a patient who had a PF that was 290 and had been in the kind of high end of PFs, how did you, did you treat that patient the same way that you treated a patient who had a PF of 120 and had been running in that kind of moderate severe range?
0: Well, uh, yes and no. uh, Both uh, the severe and the mild are going to be managed with a lung protective strategy. Mm -hmm. They're going to get lower tidal volume. Uh, But in the severe spectrum, uh, they need additional lung protection, for example, the use of prone ventilation. Mm -hmm. So... Um as far as so yes I do think PF helps you stratify um the interventions mm-hmm. and we'll have to see what the rose trial showed their mean PF was 100 in that clinical trial um and see what we should be doing with cisatracurium for example as an adjunct for additional lung protection um so so I think implicit in your, in your question, too, is should we be enrolling these mild ARDS patients in clinical trials? Are we just diluting the cohort with patients, as Luciano said, who may not have real ARDS, who have a good prognosis, may be on the ventilator for a very short period of time? And I think that's a very real question. And uh, it raises the issue of should we have some standardized ventilator settings to grade the severity of ARDS, however, we're going to define that, and and then enrich by enrolling patients uh, uh, who are likely to have a low PF even on higher PEEP, and that's one of the things the Rose trial did. The Oscillate trial for high-frequency ventilation also did that. Required a minimum amount of PEEP. Uh, to assess the oxygenation criteria to try to filter out the, the very mild.
2: May I add uh, one word? Uh, uh, okay, for the trial and so on, personally, I think that uh, 200, 300 are just, uh, is as the, the, the little alarm. You know? When I a patient with 280, stable at 280, I go to sleep uh, very confident, no problem. <laughs> and, uh, but, yeah. and, and you know, I, I would not. Uh, I use a very happy sedation uh, to give a 6 milliliter per kilo. If the patient want to breathe uh, at 7 milliliter per kilo, and uh, and the, and the plateau pressure is 22, 23, because this is the condition of these patients. They had that they don't need to have this older this dogma. In this patient, you have to look at the compliance. And let me add one word that we never speak about: the most. What more reflect? the anatomopathological status, structural status of the lung, is not the oxygen in the CO2. Mm-hmm. The first thing I'm asking the patient, what is the PCO2 and what is the total ventilation? If the PCO2 is uh, 40, 41, a uh, total ventilation is 11, this patient is tremendously different from a patient with a PCO2 of 40 and a ventilation of 6. For the first, so they go together, but sometimes the people do not pay enough attention to that. And of course, if we look at all the pathology, at the end it comes out that every patient is a single entity, because it is a sum of a thousand of different characteristics which make the unicity. Heterogeneity is inside of our human nature. We cannot do any, anything for that because our heterogeneous response uh, to the therapy are well, heterogeneous in the kind of brain, in the kind of response to the cytokine, etc., etc. So we have to, to balance all these things. The trial are a good approach uh, to show something, but the care of the single patient uh, has, cannot be based uh, just uh, on... Uh, the trial results, I think.
0: Yeah, I agree. I couldn't agree more. And I thought what you were going to say, Luciano, is can't be uh, uh, based solely on the PF. Certainly a PF that's high and and, uh, and is stably high with a low minute ventilation with a normal CO2. Uh, yeah take them off the ventilator. Yes, Yes, I would agree with you.
1: But I like, I like what Luciano said about being individualized to your patient, like that we're guided by trials and we want to have some standards of how we approach things, but we also have to look at the individual patients.
0: Absolutely. And,
1: and I think that that's an important message as we acknowledge that there's a lot of variability in patients. And I think that that's part of what comes out in the paper in your editorials, but it's hard as we try to standardize pra- practice. I think it's important to also remember the individual.
2: Well, maybe, maybe uh, it, it's true that the the, the, the trial on uh, QRR has been, uh, has been stopped uh, and we do not know still the results. Uh,
1: of ROSE.
2: Of QRR and RDS, neuromuscular agents.
1: The Cysatricurium trial. Yes. Taylor could comment on that.
0: Well, I, I, I can't actually. So the, uh, Database isn't locked yet. It'll be a couple more weeks. And then the principal investigators, Derek Angus and Mark Moss, will be uh, preparing, um, along with the writing committee, the the results, hopefully, uh, to be released at a critical care meeting in the fall. So we just have to stay tuned.
2: This is another thing that I do not understand on all this secret. Well, I understand one thing. I can uh, write the result of the trial now. OK, but
1: <laughs>
2: this is not We're going to leave question. that
1: as a teaser for the okay. future, that we, we will later learn the results That's of Rose, <laughs> even though Luciano already knows the results in his head.
2: But, but, uh, but you know, we, in intensive care, particularly in RDS, compared to what the segment in intensive care, we were not so bad, huh? because we learned that we use a more gentle lung ventilation, we learn to put a patient, some patient, in proposition position, which uh, facilitate uh, the distribution of forces. Uh, we learn that maybe in some patient, not in all patients, maybe the QR is not bad. If somebody would put an esophageal balloon and maybe measure, maybe discover some interesting thing, <laughs> that not all the patients are equal. Sometimes sometimes the patient are in pressure support with minus 20 in uh, the pleural space uh, in some order is minus two. And uh, this patient cannot be treated in the same way. You know, is uh, medicine more complicated than the trial, tell us.
0: I couldn't agree more. That's a good way to, to perhaps wrap this up. That's a-
1: I think you're right. I think it's a great statement, and I think it is part of what we all take forward as we practice our medicine. Uh, I'm going to thank you both for a really interesting discussion. It's the most I've laughed during a podcast in a while, so thank you. Um, And say I really appreciate your insights, and I'm confident that the listeners will as well. Um, To read the article discussed in this podcast, please visit the podcast homepage at www.atsjournals.org. And to listen to more episodes of Out of the Blue, visit our page on iTunes or Google Play. You can also subscribe to stay updated whenever new episodes are available. Thanks for listening and have a great day.